Well, good morning again. Uh, we are taking a break from Jonah this week. We'll get back to Jonah next week, but uh, this week we want to talk about back to school. And uh, our youth group is called Rooted in Christ, and I thought an appropriate name for this message would be Rooted in Wisdom. Um, as the school bells ring, as the hallways fill, how many of you still have the, the school bells that are like actual bells? It's like, anybody have those? Or are we all, are we all on the, uh, the airplane uh, bells? Anybody? What, what, what's your bell sound like at school? He doesn't know who's to listen to the bell. All right. You guys mostly remember the, 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 the bell, right? How many of you remember when the teacher actually rang your Okay, nobody's that old? All right. Yeah. A couple of you. I saw your hands up. But we often turn to the thought that education is about acquiring knowledge. And of course, in a lot of ways it is. We, know, we don't know a lot of things. We go to school to learn those things. And when students walk into school, they should expect to learn things they've never known before. They should expect to hone the knowledge that they've already learned. And they should start to be able to use that knowledge, not only to know it, but to understand it and to use it, to put it to work in practical ways, both inside and outside of school. And I'm teaching five different courses this semester to about 120 students, economics, personal finance, career exploration, business law, yes, that's the fun one for me, uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm teaching all of these courses, and uh, most of them have concepts that are really new to a lot of students. A lot of students don't learn a lot about economics. Uh, in their social studies classes or in their other classes. Um, they, don't, they definitely don't learn a lot about personal finance unless they've got parents who are really super involved in helping them, guide them towards uh, being able to be financially responsible. So there's new vocabulary, there's new ways of looking at things, there's new skills to be practiced, there's new things to do. And I know students, I look at your faces, and I look at the, the faces of my students, and what's the number one question when we walk into English class or math class or science class or history class? When am I ever going to use this? How many of you have ever asked that question? How many of you have ever figured out how you're going to use calculus? Any calculus? A couple of calculus users here. Not too many, right? But in the old days, like when I was in high school, like 40 years ago, um, my teachers usually just taught knowledge. They wanted you to learn the facts and the figures and the vocabulary and all of these things. And then they wanted you to be able to regurgitate it on a test. And then they moved on to the next thing. And a lot of times you didn't really get, how am I going to use this? What am I going to do with this? And most of my teachers were like that, except one guy, this guy, Daryl Menking. And I actually had to dig through my, uh, my yearbooks to find his picture. I did actually find out, uh, uh, researching him yesterday, that he is still alive, um, and that he is living fairly close to uh, Pennsylvania, so I have to get in contact with him. But he was my favorite, favorite teacher of all of the teachers that I had in high school. And he was my senior class advisor, he was my uh, science teacher pretty much all the way through high school because I went to a small Christian high school and we only had like two science teachers and two math teachers and if you have ever gone to a small school, you know how that works. 
But Mr. Menking wasn't like any of my other teachers. He didn't just teach for knowledge. He, just, he didn't just sit down and say, okay, uh, list the parts of the body or, you know, tell me why, how genes uh, contribute to life or whatever. He taught for understanding. He taught in a way that helped us not only to know the things he wanted us to know, but also to get it. You ever been in a classroom and, and your, your teacher's teaching something and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you just get it. You understand what this learning is about. Mr. Menking, and I, like I said, I went to a, a small Christian high school. Mr. Menking was the only Christian that I'd known up until then who had the audacity to look at a classroom full of seniors and say that Charles Darwin was right, which infuriated some seniors right away because we knew Charles Darwin and we knew that he was just, you know, not right about anything. But he told us that Charles Darwin was right about survival of the fittest. The strong survive and the weak most of the time do not unless they're bolstered by the strong. And he told us about nature and he told us that different uh, animal species when they're traveling along in herds the weakest member of the herd gets left behind if they're being chased by a predator because the rest of them want to survive and he said that's what Charles Darwin wrote about he was right I was astounded he actually showed us videos of or well reel-to-reel -reel movies or whatever they were back then <laughs> of these herds and and the one little guy in the back that wasn't able to keep up and they didn't stop and the predators came and boom and that I was astounded that's what Charles Darwin said survival of the fittest now he got into you know evolution and things like that too and mr. Menking said that genetic Mutations result in what scientists call evolution. But not evolution like we think of where monkeys turn into people. It's talking about these genetic mutations that allow species to survive in the environment where they are located. Again, I had never heard a Christian talk about science in the way that Mr. Menking, a Christian, talked about science. And he talked about it in such a way that his, his, one of his favorite uh, quotes was that science and faith don't stand at odds with each other because God created science. We just have to have the wisdom to keep God in science. That blew me away. And that was one of the things that I remember him saying to us right at the beginning of the year, right in the middle of the year, right at the end of the year, keep God in the science and you will discover great things. And he's the kind of high school teacher that I want to be. I want to be able to help my students understand why my subjects are important. And I want, them, I want to help them understand as much as I am able how everything that I teach, if we keep God in it, can lead to great and wonderful and blessed things for them, for the community, for the world. So when we get past obtaining this knowledge and we get to the part where we understand it, 
that's when we get to start practicing wisdom. Merriam-Webster gives one definition of wisdom as accumulated knowledge coupled with good judgment. And the Oxford Language Dictionary says that the that wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment that leads to soundness of action. And have you ever wondered what it takes to gain wisdom, what it takes to be wise? To be wise, we need to practice what we know to be true. We need to practice what we have learned we need to practice what we understand. And scripture has a lot to say about wisdom. See, we think that wisdom starts with learning something. We think that wisdom starts with understanding something. That's not where wisdom starts. Proverbs 1, 2 to 7, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And this is the part, this is the part that's important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then knowledge begets understanding, and understanding begets wisdom. But we got to start with God. We got to start with the Lord. And we read this, and, and, and believe me, growing up, the fear of the Lord was taught as something other than what I think it is. I had preachers, I listened to preachers, my mother always used to have televangelists on the TV like all the time, and when they talked about fearing the Lord, it kind of sounded like this, if you know what's good for you, you'll be afraid that God will send you to hell for your sins. And I heard that over and over and over again, that God was someone to be scared of. And as I gained greater knowledge through studying the Bible, and as I grew to understand what God is saying in his word, and I grew in wisdom over the years, I came to understand that's not what it means. When we talk about fearing the Lord, yes, we Fear the Lord because we are in awe of his power, because his infinite power created all things, and everything is under his control. And it's true, in his wrath, God could have destroyed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God could have sunk Noah's ark. God could have wiped the slate entirely clean. He could have wiped creation out of existence. It was in his power. But God is not about using his power indiscriminately. God is about using his power with wisdom and with love. And how much more awesome and how much more powerful do we find God to be for not 
destroying creation, for not getting rid of Adam and Eve, for not sinking Noah's Ark. How much more awesome is God because in his wisdom he practices mercy? Because in his wisdom he knew before creation began that we were going to screw up. Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that. And before the foundation of the world, before he spoke the first words, let there be light, there was his son, Jesus Christ. And it had been planned from the beginning that Jesus Christ would be our redeemer, our savior, the person who would bring us back to the father after we had sinned. That's the wisdom of God, and it is rooted in love. It is not rooted in wrath. We don't need to be afraid of God. We fear God because we revere him as the creator, and we stand in awe of his creation. And we stand in awe because we can know what the psalmist David knew. In Psalm 8, verses 3 to 6, when I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place. How many of you look at the moon and the stars? How many of you have ever been to a place where you can just, there's no lights around, and you can just look up and see the vastness of the stars? How many of you enjoy doing that? Anybody like to do that? I used to love, there was this place that I used to go when I was in college here at Messiah. We'd, try, we'd drive a little bit of a ways. No city lights around. There's this big hill, and we would just walk up the hill and lay down on it and look up at the stars. And we would talk about how awesome God was for creating the stars and how awesome he is. And this is where David starts. When I look at your heavens, when I look at all of the works that you have done, I have a question for you, Lord. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have done all of these huge, great things. You have created everything. And here I am, a college student, laying down on a hill, looking up at what you have created. How incredible is it that you're looking back down at me? How incredibly awesome is it that not only do you see me, but you care for me. You love me. You love me enough to send your own son to die so that I can live. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I don't know, but you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Did you know you're in charge of the earth? Did you know that you have dominion over God's creation? How many of you are ready to take charge? How many of you are ready to care for God's creation as God create, uh, cares for his own? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel completely inadequate 
to take care of all of creation, simply because I don't have the knowledge of all of creation to be able to do that. And here's something else that is incredible. I don't know where algae comes from. Anybody here know where algae comes from? Really, come after and tell me. I don't know where algae comes from. I don't know why the birds sing incredibly loudly at five o'clock every morning when I want to sleep until seven. I don't know a lot of things. But guess what? God has placed knowledge and understanding into other people. And those people can tell me why. Why are the birds waking me up on Saturday morning? They can tell me what's going on. And because they can tell me, I can add to my own knowledge. I can add to my own understanding. And I can better care for God's creation. So when I approach this creation, and when you approach this creation that God has given us dominion over, don't we have to do it with a really great sense of humility? Because God has put us over all of creation and we don't know everything. I don't know everything. And I've got to have a sense of humility, a great amount of reverence for the creation and for the creator. And I have to have a whole lot of humility and reverence to be able to say, I don't know. But this woman does. But this man does. Let me learn from them the knowledge that God has placed inside of them. Because God does know where algae comes from. God makes the birds sing. And God gives us all ability to gain knowledge in different areas. So that if we were to get together, we would know a whole lot more than we do when we're apart. Proverbs 2.6 tells us, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come understanding and knowledge. Students, I know a lot of you don't like to go to school. Raise your hand if you love to go to school. Raise your hand if you love to sit for seven and three quarters hours in classrooms having teachers talk at you all day. Adults, anybody love school when they were in school? Wendy, keep your hand down, I know you did. We don't like it, right? Guess what? Your teachers don't like it all the time either. But some of you ask yourselves, when am I going to use this stuff? I am never going to have to recite the Bill of Rights on demand to anybody. I'm never going to use algebra for anything, except you will. You just won't know it's algebra. But you'll know the concept. I will never understand poetry. That's a big one with a lot of my high school students. Why do we have to learn poetry? Poetry's stupid. If you have those thoughts, I hope you'll remember something. God gives knowledge. He gives it through your teachers. He gives it through your parents. 
He gives it through your fellow students who are smarter than you. And he gives it through you who are smarter at certain things than other people. But knowledge comes from God. Understanding comes from God. And God has put people into place to help you gain knowledge and understanding so that you can live lives of wisdom. I want to encourage you to approach learning with humility. Realize that you don't know everything. And that's really hard for high school students to grasp because they want to think that they know everything. But we don't. Adults don't. Your teacher doesn't know everything about the topic that they're teaching. I promise you. They're looking it up too, counting on other people. Approach learning with humility because God is going to show you something. If you're sitting here this morning and you're in high school and you don't know yet what you want to do after you get out of school, pay attention in your classes because God's going to show you something that you're going to end up getting passionate about. You may not realize it, and it may surprise you, but God is going to turn the light on for something that you're going to get excited about. And how do we know when God turns that light on? How do we know the things that God wants us to know? First, we approach the learning with humility. We say, I don't know everything. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. The next thing we do, and actually probably the first thing we should do, is we should pray. We should seek God's guidance. We should pray for wisdom before school starts every morning. And I know that's hard. We don't think about praying first thing in the morning when we roll out of bed because we've only got five minutes to get to the bus. But pray. Pray that God will guide your thoughts and guide your learning so that you can gain the knowledge and understanding that he wants you to gain. Pray. Pray in the morning. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Without reproach means without judgment. God's not going to laugh at you for not knowing something. Without reproach, and it will be given him. God wants you to pray for wisdom. He wants you to rely on him, to learn the things he wants you to learn. And along with prayer, talk to adults that you trust. Sometimes that's going to be your teachers. Sometimes it's going to be staff. Sometimes it's going to be your coach. It's going to be your parents. All of these people who have come before you who have already gained the knowledge and the understanding and have started living in wisdom, practicing the things that they have learned that they know are good and right. Trust them. Go to them. Talk to them. Now, I know it's a reality in our schools today that we hear a lot of things that sound confusing. We hear a lot of things that sound wrong. We hear a lot of things that directly challenge our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And I don't know where all of you are, students, in your faith journey. I don't know if you have said yes to Jesus Christ or if you have not said yes to Jesus Christ. If you ever want to talk about those things, please come and talk to me or talk to Becky. But students of faith are challenged in our public schools to abandon biblical truths at the threat of being punished, given detention or suspension or expulsion. They are challenged to abandon biblical truths at the fear of being excluded. At the fear of being shamed for believing the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible. And I don't know if you've been in a school lately, adults. Peer pressure is nothing like it was when we were in school. Because we have social media now. And I'm here to tell you, social media has destroyed more faith just by virtue of its relentlessness. Eventually, students just say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'll just go along. Just to stop the bullying, just to stop the shame, just to stop this relentless attack on my person. It is happening. And it happens every single day. I've seen it. I've watched it. I do want to give you something of a word of encouragement. Even your suffering, even the things that you might be going through if you are standing up for your faith in school, even that Jesus knew was going to happen. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you just go along, if you just say that wrong is right and right is wrong, we love you. We're going to welcome you. If you don't, we don't even want to pretend you exist. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, I don't want anybody to hate me. Anybody here want anybody to hate them? No, that's not a natural human thing. And when we stand on the truth of God, people are going to hate us. Because the world hates truth. It says so right in Scripture. And they're going to get us to try to sit down. That's the big thing nowadays on social media and other things. If you're saying something that people don't like, they tell you to sit down and shut up. They're going to try to get you to say that wrong is right and that God is wrong. In middle school and high school especially, the pressure to go along with the crowd and to not make waves is immense. And we have these programs now where Students are forced to sit and listen to teachers watch videos that say that wrong is right. See, Christians, even at my high school, 
I see some brave ones. They're the ones that'll wear a shirt from their youth group or a shirt that has a Bible passage on it. They're the ones that are willing to say when I ask my question of the day, what are you going to do with your summer vacation? And they say, I'm going to go on a missions trip. So many others are not willing to stand up and talk openly about their faith. And the number of peers that mock the ones who do is insane. They get ridiculed, they get bumped into, into lockers in the hallway, they get left out of everything, and these bullies make their lives miserable. But have faith, be of good courage, because there are people in your school, students and adults, who are standing up for their faith. In my own school, we have teachers who are youth group leaders. We have teachers who lead Awana, which is an after-school Christian group. We have teachers who are a part of Young Life. And kids know it. We even have a pastor. And kids are starting to learn that they can come to Mr. Womer. They can come to Mr. Dorica. They can come to Ms. Mason and talk about their faith and not worry about getting attacked for it. And those numbers are growing. Don't be afraid to go to a trusted adult, someone that you know stands up for their faith and tell them when things are going really poorly. Obviously tell your parents, yes, but your parents aren't in school seven and three quarters of, the, of hours of the day. There are people that God has placed in your school to help you with your faith. Look for them. And if you ever feel yourself starting to sit down, starting to get pushed down to the ground for your faith, I want you to remember this passage of Scripture. Memorize it. Know it. Stick it on your mirror first thing in the morning. Put it in your car. Put it in your notebook. Proverbs 3 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. God is for you. God knows you are walking into a place where a lot of people are going to hate you. A lot of people are going to try to knock you down because you stand for your faith. God is with you. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. It's not easy, I promise you. It's not easy to be a Christian teacher, let alone a Christian student. But God is with you and God is for you. And I want you to remember that God has placed you where you are. 
see? God has placed you where you are. I know some of us don't believe that. I know, oh, well, my parents moved here, so I have to go to this school. No, your, your, your parents were placed where they are so that you can be where you are. I firmly believe that. I believe that of, of my own family. We might not know what God's purpose is yet. But know that God has a purpose for you. And that purpose starts right where you are five mornings a week. So start each morning with prayer. Ask God to show you what it is you're supposed to learn that day. Ask God to show you the people in that school that are there to help encourage you in your Christian faith. Ask him to help you make wise decisions, even when everybody else is making stupid ones. <coughs> Ask God how he is going to use you to care for his creation, including the people that you come into contact to every day. And when you get to school and when you step on the bus, Pray that God will strengthen you. Pray that God will give you courage because he will. God will give you courage and strength to stand up against all of this pressure. Ask him to show you fellow students and staff. Ask him to point out fellow students that are standing up for their faith and stand up with them. Ask him to point out students who are being knocked down for their faith and go and be their strength. Go and be the person that they can rely on to help them stand up, to help them live the life that God wants them to live and not give in to all of this other stuff. And if you are a parent or a grandparent or any adult in this building today, I want you to do something for me right now. In a minute, I'm going to put up a Bible verse, and I want you to read it out loud to the students in this building today. I want you to read it out loud, and I want you to help them know that they are affirmed in Jesus Christ, that they are strong in their faith in Christ, and that they can rely on him every single day. The scripture verse is 1 Timothy 4 12. I want us all to read this together. Let's do it. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Students, believe these words. Practice these words. You are not too young to stand for your faith. You are not too young to point people the way to Jesus Christ. You are not too young to make a difference in the lives of your fellow students and your teachers and your friends and your sports mates and your band mates and your whatever mates. You can be strong in God. And this congregation will be praying for you every single day. And we're going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the students in this church.
church. We thank you for the number of children that we had up here up front this morning. We thank you for the leaders, uh, for Tori and for Becky. We thank you for the volunteers that work down in the Sunday school that teach our children every single week how to stand up in faith to you. Father, we ask you that you, that you remind our students from the youngest to the oldest every single day that you are with them and you are for them. Remind them that they can be strong in their faith. Father, help them to stand up. Help them to be wise, to make wise decisions to make decisions that are going to be pleasing to you, that are, that decisions that are going to help other people see that they are yours. And then, Father, open the hearts, open the minds of those people that see our students and make them curious. Let the Holy Spirit work in them to come up to one of our students and say, why aren't you doing these things? Why are you different and give our students the words, the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom to point the way to you. Father, we pray for their safety this year. We pray that you will help them to avoid or fight temptation as it comes. And Father, we pray that you will put people into their lives that they can go to when things are going poorly, when things are looking like they want to just sit down. Father, help them to feel every day our love for them and your love for them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Students, I want to encourage you as you go to school tomorrow and for the next 170 some odd days that you have left, that you will pray that you will seek God's face, and that you will seek out fellow Christians who can help you stand in your faith. Parents, adults, pray for our students, pray for our children. Let them know that you are behind them. Let them know that you are there when things are getting hard. Let them know that you stand with them as God stands with them. God bless you this week.